Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Recorded live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. We are coming to you live from Full Service Radio inside the Lion Hotel in Washington, D.C. And if this is your first time here, you are now listening to the All the Fly Kids Show, where the cool, calm, and connected talk straight, no chaser. I'm your host, Geronimo Nose, urban culture, lifestyle enthusiast, reformed blogger turned full-time conversationalist, and as always, got my co-host in the building, Shell B. I'm here. You are here. I am here. You look as though you're feeling much better than I'm feeling right now. Yes. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah. Because sometimes it's the other way around. It's always the other way around. <laughs> sometimes we we be feeling good together. Right. Sometimes. Right. Right. Sometimes. Yeah. But how are you? I'll let you answer. How are you feeling today? I'm doing great. Um, you know, my my days are always crazy, as as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have some exciting business news and new opportunities that have just funneled um, and basically fallen into my lap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, building a business is not easy. Right. I want everybody out there to know it's not just going to happen overnight. And if it does, then six months from now, you have to try to figure out why nobody's talking to you anymore. Right. And it's way less glamorous than what social media would like you to believe. Let me explain to you something. (laughs) (laughs) Really try to make it look good. So no, so everything's just good right now. I'm chilling. Okay. All right. Well, as always, even though, we only got a couple more episodes left. Um, you can still subscribe to us oh, in the meantime. Rate, comment, subscribe. <laughs> rate, comment, subscribe. Get caught up. If you're new to listening to the podcast, get caught up on the past hundred something plus shows that uh, that we've recorded since November 2016. But um, as I did announce on last week's episode, um, the final episode of the podcast does does happen next Wednesday. December 18th so this is the second to last episode yes another flex bomb appreciate that <laughs> I will not do my sad whimper thank on you this thank one. you it's nothing to be sad about I mean okay I get it and I and I appreciate that means that the conversations that I've had with all the different co-hosts and guests that I've had over the past three years really counted for something Absolutely. you know what I mean Absolutely. and so um I, I am appreciative of that and that makes me feel good knowing that what i was doing was not in vain it was and that not. there were people actually out there listening absolutely you know because uh, you, you let me on that that's big i invited you i didn't let you i invited you okay you, you could have said no you invited me you sound like you was like please let me on the show please let me co-host it's not like you was doing that you know so i invited you and you, you accepted the offer absolutely so every time right yes. so definitely and i appreciate you for being co-host number three Thank you. And helping us close out, you know, as we get um, our two away from the, uh, well, actually one away from the finale. Uh, so this is episode 127. I'm calling this the Unchained Minds episode, okay? And when I say episode 127, like I said, it's actually, we've done way more than 127 episodes. But this is the 127th studio episode um, in the three years that 
the All the Fly Kids show has been in existence. So this is the Unchained Mind epi- ep- Unchained Minds episode, all right? And it's been a good minute since we've had an episode about using one's experience in the streets and criminal justice system to advocate for positive reinforcement among young people on a negative path. But that was in 2017 on episode 40 with friend of the show, Donald Stevenson, who's got one hell of a story. But our guest today also has an incredible story. He's a former juvenile lifer who recently returned home this year after serving a 22-year sentence. A native of Southeast D.C., he was one of the last inmates housed at Lorton Prison, which is now the Workhouse Art Center located in Lorton, Virginia, 20 miles southwest of where I guess grew up. Uh, before it closed its doors in November 2001. And from Lorton, he would go on to be transferred to a few different facilities um, throughout the country. But although the world that he left was vastly different from the world he's returned to, many of the conditions and influences that led our guests to the street life still exist today. So since coming home, he's founded an organization called Unchained Minds. This organization provides education, guidance, and assistance to youth ages 8 to 13 in urban communities, facilitates speaking engagements, trainings, and workshops, along with providing field knowledge to universities and community outreach programs aligned with the Unchained Minds mission. So I'm going to end this intro because if I say anything else, we won't have a need to do the show and actually get to hear from our guest today. So, family, please welcome Mr. Marvin M.J. Jackson to the All the Fly Kids show. Thank you. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, bro. I'm glad we were able to make this happen, man. You know, it's been a long time coming, and we were uh, connected by, you know, your family, my good brother, Chuck, you know, Charles Key likes to go by Charles Key, so let me, let me say that. Yeah. <laughs> so big shout out to, to, to our guy Chuck uh, for, for, for making this happen, linking us together to make this happen. Most, most definitely. You know what I mean? So, um, again, I know I gave a, a brief description of what Unchained Minds is all about, and I want to, before we get into, like, how you even got up to this point, I want to start with, from your words, since you are the founder um, and the executive director of the organization, what is Unchained Minds and, and why coming back in 2019 to, to D.C., do you see the need for an organization like Unchained Minds? Yes. Um, coming back after 22 years incarceration, uh, during my incarceration, I was once told that uh, they might have my mind or my body chained, but I cannot let them keep my mind chained. Mm-hmm. So coming back after 22 years and seeing how a lot of things have changed since I was gone, like you know dealing with the gentrification and you know a lot of new people here in the city and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's my duty. I feel like uh, we have to teach our youth that you know don't just have your mind. <clears throat> you know, chain in one direction mm-hmm. because uh, anything you believe in, you know, you can accomplish and you can be what you want to be. Right. But if you keep your mind chained in certain areas, in one atmosphere, then that's how you become a, a product of your environment. Absolutely. So I just believe that, man, no matter who you are or what section of town you come from, just try to keep your mind free. Mm-hmm. Don't keep your mind chained and locked in one direction. Absolutely. And you've... um. What it's been, what, how many months? Five months? Yeah, it's Six been months? Five, five months since I've been home. And you hit the ground running as soon as you, 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 you got back to D.C.? Yeah, um, as soon as I was blessed with, you know, my freedom once again, um, one of my main focuses was to get back and basically um, help my mother to overcome her drug addiction. Mm-hmm. So I was working on that from day one. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been a blessing because now 
she's been in a program, in a drug program, mm -hmm. for over maybe about going on two months. So uh, that was one of the greatest accomplishments so far that I feel really blessed about mm -hmm. and was able to make it back home to her yeah. to try to help her overcome her drug addiction, which she developed since the 80s. Right. So this is something you were dealing with with her ever since you were a child. Exactly. Okay. So it just was, um, like I said, it's a blessing to be able to get back on this side of the world, mm -hmm. which is, you know, the so-called free world, because nothing is really free, but your mind will always be free. Right. And, um... So to help her to go into a drug program, that means a, a, a lot to me. Mm -hmm. you know, so hopefully uh, when she re-enter into society sober, then I feel like, you know, that was my biggest accomplishment so far. Right. And that's one of the greatest accomplishments, however it may go. Okay. Just to see her clean and be able to, you know, hug my mother and see that woman that she once was. 30-something years ago. Yeah, I mean, and I can empathize with you. You know, I've had quite a few relatives deal with um, overcoming addiction, substance, a substance addiction themselves. So I definitely know what that looks like and what that feels like to see someone that you care about that's close to you overcome, overcome something that is so harmful, not just to them, but the people around them who love them. So that's definitely a blessing. That's definitely right. a blessing to see that. So, all right, so let's, 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 let's jump back some years. Let's jump back some years. Um... So you're originally from Southeast. Yeah. Okay. Wellesley Park, Potomac Gardens, yeah. that in between. Yeah. Okay. Both okay. Of, both of those basically where I was growing up at. Okay. Yeah. And describe just so describe the city at that time, you know, in the in the in the 80s and 90s as you were coming of age, you know, and 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 the 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 environment and the and the influences around you for 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 listeners who are unfamiliar. Okay. Uh well, I can go back to the 80s when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. and, uh, of course, my father was incarcerated majority of my childhood life. And um, my mother was a single-parent mom and um, took a fall, got addicted to the crack era, which was the mid-80s. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and um, at that time, growing up in Southeast Potomac Gardens, it was a... Uh, it was a sight to see as a kid, man, because uh, at that time, the neighborhoods back then, you know, people hung out. Mm -hmm. You know, people wasn't afraid to be out. You know what I mean? The kids was, uh, you know, happy getting along or growing up, whatever. And even though you might have a, you might have had a mother like me that was falling victim to the drug epidemic or the crack era, you had the older guys in the neighborhoods would look out for the kids. Mm -hmm. You know, they made sure kids did getting hurt you know they made sure kids had school supplies we had clothing and things in that nature even though they was all out doing whatever they had to do to feed their families and it's like they looked out for the communities you know it was a lot of drugs being involved in the neighborhoods and um for the people that we once looked up to even though they was drug dealers they loved us at the same time because I remember a time where they used to tell us, man, look, get on away from here. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't just automatically push drugs or put drugs in your hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is contrary to what a lot of um, a lot of uh, media representation at that time would like you to believe. A lot of I remember as a child <laughs> um, sometimes seeing on TV them talking about how like all this drug dealers that's, you know, trying to recruit kids and while that existed but yeah. that wasn't the overwhelming majority yeah you know what I mean yeah yeah 
Well, you know, I always looked it up to the old cats, mm -hmm. you know, and those were the ones that was coming up with my dad. And they never once enticed me to sell drugs. Mm -hmm. They always told me to go to school, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And, um, and at that particular time, like I say, even when we had a father, something was gone away in a penitentiary, mm -hmm. the old time was made sure that we went to school. Yeah. And we, you know, we didn't go to bed hungry and stuff like that, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? So that was the old school. Yeah. And this is why I always pay tribute to the old school for the ones that's worthy of me paying tribute to, mm -hmm. you know, uh, solid men, yeah. you know, and they taught us how to be young men, mm -hmm. you know, and at that time, in the 80s and in the early 90s, D.C. was a very, very treacherous town. Yes, you yes know, it was. I sit around a day and I hear about the people saying how dangerous it is now, but back in that era when you had three to 400 people getting murdered a year, I don't think D.C. was that, I don't think the day D.C. could ever, you know, uh, uh, be described like it was back then. I mean, it was so bad. Uh, you remember that show, City Under Siege, that, yeah. that segment Fox 5 would show? Yeah. It was that, was, it was that bad. You yeah. can still find clips of it on, uh, on YouTube, actually. Exactly. You know, and um, so for me coming up and watching the 80s, then me coming up in the 90s, you know, it's just totally different compared to today. Mm -hmm. But I can say that from back in those days, like I say, uh, you know, people had more ethics about how they do things yes. in the streets. You know, you had street ethics, you know what I'm saying? So, like, versus today, you know, like, uh, things wasn't uh, uh, honored back then, whereas, though, you know, uh, a guy might just come through your neighborhood, get shooting at any, everybody, innocent people getting killed, or old lady, or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. If guys had certain issues with other guys, and it's between them, you know, they didn't bring the innocence involved. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? But today, you know, it's like, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's the wild, it's lost, wild west. It's the you know it's, it's free fall. What do you yeah. think that comes from? Just in, in the different generations, what do you think that comes from? Uh, how did how did we and I've said this before on the show and just in personal conversations, I always say on Sundays back in the eighties and nineties, drug dealers didn't sell drugs on Sundays. <laughs> they were taking grandma to church and to the grocery store and you just didn't see what you see today mm -hmm. in the in the seventies, in the eighties and the nineties. So what do you think happened? Somewhere somewhere something was broken, yeah. Trust was lost. What what do you think? Well, from what I'm seeing and um, versus those times, like I say, the old school, they had ethics about how they mm -hmm. do everything. And it was all about, um, you know, the respect. Right. You know, so I'm, I'm like I say, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a product of that old school law to where as though um, I love checking on both of my grandmothers. I make sure they all right. You know, um, I respect my elders. You know what I mean? And I believe that. Uh, when you, it was so many guys was taken out of society and put in these penal systems and mm -hmm. being shipped all around the world, giving so much time about some of the stuff where as though like they didn't even really deserve the amount of time that they got yeah. behind whatever crime they might have committed. And it all goes to like, um, you know, even we go back 400 some years ago, you know what I mean? Like it was always designed for the for the system to take away certain caliber men mm -hmm. you see so when certain caliber men was taken away out of society even though wrong is wrong but growing up in those environments when certain men was taken away the youngsters today or the maybe the ones that's coming of age now it's like they missed out on a whole lot even how to be 
a part of the streets. Right. Because like I say, the streets got ethics. But if these young guys wasn't taught certain things, then it's like everybody just fending for themselves. They just doing things whereas though they feel like maybe the right thing to do, but at the same time, it ain't what you do, it's how you do it. Right, right, you right. Know? right. So, yeah. um, and a lot of the young cats today, uh, you know, I just believe that they had missed out on a lot. And I feel like most of them probably learned how to be a street cat by watching TV, which is a big illusion. Mm-hmm. Or listening to the music. Or listening to the music. Right. You know what I mean? So even in certain music, you know, like I was just speaking to you once before about the reason why I like the Ghetto Boys mm-hmm. and Scarface, because those rappers always sent out a message, a, yeah. conscious, a conscious message, yeah. even about the streets. It ain't just about, you know, doing this and doing that, but they always made you think mm-hmm. about certain realities in the streets, you see what I'm saying, versus to a lot of the hip-hop today. Right. You know, so uh, I believe that's what happened to answer your, you know, your question. Like, it was this certain type of men was just taken away. Right. And a lot of the young cats, man, they just, I mean, they just, I guess they just going for what, whatever they think is right. They, they're you know seeing I mean? one side of it and not necessarily understanding that the main, the main emphasis for, for, for most people, and not to say this isn't, isn't the case for, for a lot of younger people today, but the main emphasis was survival. Yeah. You know, like, and there were no other options. You know, that's what that's what fuels crime. Mm-hmm. You know, lack of options. You know what I mean? And I think now, especially seeing so many so many people getting deciding to, to be scammers. So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, mm-hmm. now it's just about the money. Right. It's about the look. Right. You know what I mean? Like a lot of these people that decide to start scamming, they're not hurting. They're not. A lot of them are coming from 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 impoverished situations. You know, they might not be rich, but they ain't like out here like yeah. down bad. Right. You know, and so it's like. Oh no! I, I want to be fresh. I want to keep up with that, and so I, I see a lot of the, um, the 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 quote unquote street guys, y- uh, younger street guys now, um, focus more so just on the money. And even in the music, they just talk about the glamorous side. They not they don't you don't uh, you don't hear enough about the struggle. And right. I, and and you know guys I know who who came up under that same old code as you. You know they talk about like that. And like if you're not talking about the struggle, then you're just like I can't believe you. Right. You know. Right. I can't believe that you re- that you're really really down down for what you say you're down for. Exactly. You know. So, yeah, that's 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 really really interesting. And so, all right. So, fast forwarding, you're in the '90s now. You're a teenager. You know, you're out here. You're getting busy. You're doing your thing in the streets. Um, at any point, did you say to yourself, you know, I'm going to be in this for a temporary time for temporarily or am I going to do this like I'm in this like I'm, I'm seeing this all the way through as, as far as I can take it um, you talking about being introduced to the street life right yeah <clears throat> well you know when you young like uh, me personally I really started taking more into the streets when I was around 11 years old mm-hmm. so I learned how to hustle mm-hmm. but when you young you still very immature yeah so you don't even think about Maybe if this is something you want to do the rest of your life mm-hmm. or, you know, this is something that you want to turn into a, a career. But um, as I look back, you know, like I say, man, just growing up every day and you coming outside and this is all you exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, nine times out of ten, like this is how I became and a lot of other young men that I know. This is how I this is how I became a product of my environment. Right. Because uh, I didn't really, I didn't have no 
of an outlet. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't have no other positive male figures to say, well, you know, to try to keep me away from my environment mm-hmm. or take me outside of my environment. So this is how I became a product of my environment. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as a kid, as an adolescent, man, like I said, you just don't, you don't even think about what possibly can happen the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You just think about today. You just think about today. Yeah. And, um... When you're growing up, uh, you're building a certain type of reputation for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear about your dad, your uncles, and your cousins. And, you know, everybody pretty much involved in the same activity. And uh, once you feel like or you hear about those guys being honored as men or what have you, then you want that same honor. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Uh, and I can say that uh, uh, me wanting that same honor, uh, I don't regret it. Yeah. But at the same token, uh, you know, who knows? You yeah, know, maybe would have made a different decision. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but um, what did what did you want to be when you grew when you grew up? Oh, actually, uh, when I was young, young, <laughs> I used to always like think about being a doctor. Okay. Because when I used to, you know, go to my little appointments and stuff to the clinic when I was a kid, like I was always infatuated by the nurses and the doctors and I remember one doctor in particular I forgot her name but she was African mm-hmm. and my mother would take me to see her and she used to always give me candy Okay. So, but I found out maybe when I got about 7 like well this is how she be tricking me to stick this needle in my arm <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> Yeah. as a kid right but um, I used to think about being a doctor you know but I also was in love with basketball and boxing Okay. so those were my two favorite um, sports and still is to this day okay so, uh, but ironically, man, probably about at nine, ten years old, uh, I think I had my mind pretty made up by then that I wanted to be involved in the streets. Okay. Okay. You know? All right. And um, before you um, you got jammed up, because um, I remember, you know, when we talked, you said, you know, you were a juvenile lifer. Um, explain what a juvenile lifer is for anybody who doesn't know. Um. A juvenile lifer was, uh, it's a law in D.C., it's called Title 16. So if you're 16 to 17 years old in Washington, D.C., you can be charged as an adult, Mm -hmm. meaning that you'll be facing adult time. Mm -hmm. And before I even became Title 16, I spent numerous months in Oak Hill Youth Center, Mm -hmm. which was in Law, Maryland. Mm -hmm. And they shut it down, they rebuilt a new facility down there called New Beginners. Yeah. And from what I'm hearing, it's a way much better facility than it was the one that I came through. Mm-hmm. It is. So um, so being a juvenile lifer, man, um, I was the youngest one on my case. Uh, I was 17 years old. I was charged as an adult. Uh, I was facing 90 years to life. Did you know any other, any brothers br- before you got jammed up that were juvenile lifers? Yeah, okay. yeah, I knew I knew a few brothers that already had went in and charged as a juvenile back in like '93, '94. Okay, and um and also when I got to the juvenile tip myself, a few guys that I knew from my Oak Hill days and some I grew up with was all charged as an adults as juvenile lifers. Okay, so we was all charged as uh, adults facing life sentences in Washington D.C. Okay, and they um. They were the, the the court was wanted to, wanted to convict you on numerous charges. You were telling me two of which you beat, were two murder charges that you said you beat. Right. Which congratulations, you like because you could still be in there most right definitely. now if you hadn't beat those charges. Most definitely. Okay. Um. 
at the time when that when that when that census was being handed down to you, because um, you were what 17, 16, 17? Well, they they arrested me at seventeen. I didn't go to trial to uh, I was uh, nineteen. Okay. Before my twentieth birthday. Yeah. Okay. So those cup those couple of years, you were in DC jail yeah. awaiting your trial. Exactly. Okay. What was going through your mind as you were waiting? Wow. Um, <clears throat> actually. Um, what was going through my mind, I knew it was serious. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, I knew that it wasn't no more O'Kill. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the time, if I was charged as a juvenile, I would have been facing juvenile life, which is only five years, four mm-hmm. to five years. So um, when I got arrested, you know, uh, and charged as an adult, and when I was placed on the juvenile tier, when I got placed on the juvenile tier, you already had juveniles there waiting to go to Lawton. Mm-hmm. Some already had like 57 years to life, mm-hmm. 85 years to life. I mean, these we, we all kids. Yeah. We literally still kids. We still literally immature, even though we might have thought we was grown. Mm-hmm. But we were still somebody's child. And um, so all was going through my mind was like, damn, I know if I lose, it could be this could be this could be it. Yeah. You know, it could be basically uh the nail in the coffin. And um it made you feel like uh like a good brother of mine's Harleen Flowers. Uh, Who I met last, uh, last week, actually. Yeah, yeah, beautiful brother. That's, that's, that's my real dear brother. I love him so much, right? Um, you know, he was one of the first juveniles that I got real attached to mm-hmm. on a juvenile tier. And I remember when he got found guilty. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he was sentenced. And they gave him 40 to life. Mm-hmm. So um, that right there, it really touched me. You know, so I'm like, okay, well, uh, facing this amount of time at such a young age, you know, you sit there and you just, you know, you 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 got to uh, just try to find a way to try to stay mentally sane. Yeah. Because I done been around juveniles, uh, one particular brother, uh, when he got 57 years of life, I actually was there to save his life mm. because he tried to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so, you know, we moving through the D.C. jail. Uh, you still have a lot of things currently going on. Uh, a best friend of mine who's much, you know, a couple years older than me, two of them got killed while I was sitting at the D.C. jail. Um, and you just like, man... Um, this was 1999, 2000? 98. 98, okay. Right. And, um, <laughs> and as I sit there, like, you know, uh, like facing a lot of time, it was like, damn, man, like... Uh, your mind is wondering, man, you know what I mean? But at the same token, um, you got to be uh you got to be a man about any situation that you create or put yourself in. That accountability. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean I could have easily walked out if I would have lied and point the finger at my co-defendants, mm-hmm. which they wanted me to do. So I feel like bands though I didn't do that because I refused to do that. Mm-hmm. Um they gave me the the stiffest penalty they could give me, even though I was exonerated or found not guilty for both murders. Mm-hmm. Because actually, I was still eligible to be sentenced under the UFAC, mm-hmm. right? And if I'd have got sentenced under the UFAC, I could have done three, four, five years and would have been home. Yeah. But the judge didn't see it that way. And um, the judge, Mr. Lee Satterfield, <laughs> a black judge. Ooh. You, you, yeah. you, you, know, you know him? <laughs> yeah. So uh, oh, you didn't you, you didn't tell him who I used to work for. No, 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 I didn't. I, I, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yes. Woo. So look, she 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 knows she knows uh, DC government and, and okay. DC's legal system very well. Okay, that's good. <laughs> and um, oh, like boy. I say, I was eligible for the UFAC. Oh, and um, <clears throat> basically, he told me at the sentencing, I'll never forget that um, I did adult crime. I'm gonna do adult time, and whatever I have coming, I'm gonna have to deal with it. Okay. So when he spoke those words to me during my sentencing. I took it to heart, you know, because uh, naturally, everybody that know me knows that, okay, the, the picture that the government tried to paint on me know that I'm not that type of person. But when he told me that, I was like, you know, I explained to a few of my family members, even my uncle that's here with me today, I said, well, good thing that I was a young guy that knew how to protect himself. You know, um, I was taught to not be afraid of another man. Because you had young guys that went to prison, you know, some got killed, some got raped, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and I think I was just at that time of me learning the what I learned in the streets, learn how to be a young man at such a young age, um, that kind of helped me out through my processing of first doing my journey yeah. incarceration. Right. So uh, you know, you you couldn't show no signs of weakness. Right. You know what I mean, and um, and my aunt told me uh, when I got my time she said there's only one way to do it and she said you got to do it like a man so uh, but yeah I mean you know you I had a lot of thoughts man like damn like would I ever go home again yeah yeah you know what I mean and so when the final when the final convention conviction and sentencing came um what was the initial sentence? Because I know you you um, were able to um, get an appeal under the hold. On, I wrote this down. Don't tell me the DC's Incarceration Reduction Amendment Act of 2016. Right. So what was the original sentencing before that? Uh, they gave me 23 years to life. Okay. So actually, um, I had an initial parole date, which would have been earlier this year. Mm-hmm. But when that bill got passed, that kind of like put me in front of my parole date, which was a blessing. Mm-hmm. Because even though you might be given, you could be given five years to life, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that you'll make parole because you got the life on the back. So technically, you still got a life sentence. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even yeah. though you have a possibility of parole, but everyone knows that the D.C. Superior Court sentence link, and when you go into these federal institutions that they're sending us to now, they don't look at your possibility of parole. They look at the back number, which would say life. Mm-hmm. So they don't have a parole board when they got a parole commission. Okay. Whereas though, technically, they just stealing money for real. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because you got guys that say that uh, may have uh, uh, 20 years to life, and some of them never even have a, never had a serious incident report, meaning a shot or a write-up. Right. And they can go to parole board with millions and millions of uh, programming. And they still give him a five-year hit. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Which was cruel and unusual punishment. Mm-hmm. Because you're telling me that if I program for these, you know, throughout my incarceration, that is a very high possibility that I go home while I make parole. Mm-hmm. But that's not true. A lot of us DC inmates are still getting really, really uh, uh, dogged out behind that right now. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a lot of guys, man, that's been doing very well. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, they get to say, well, give you a five-year hit, which is, I mean, it's terrible. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you just, okay, I thought you had something to say. Yeah. So, well, I am listening, and only because I know all of this. <laughs> I know all of this. Yeah. I, the parole board and, you know, DOJ and 
and everything. And <laughs> I knew this was not going to be an easy conversation. Okay. You know, to have having my own, and you know, when we got off the air, uh, you know, th- there's a story to tell. Um, so I, I mean, I understand all of it. You know, the cards. I always say sometimes with with criminal justice and being DC, I feel like we're the it's sometimes the guinea pigs mm-hmm. for what will happen in other mm-hmm. states mm-hmm. Um, as far as criminal justice, you know, the, the leniency or not, um, juvenile justice, just everything. Yeah. So I, I'm just, I'm sipping my water over here. <laughs> <Okay>. and uh, <laughs> because Sipping her clear tea. <laughs> listen, listen, I, it is what it is. Yeah. I worked in criminal justice. I don't know if you knew that when you walked in here. No. Um, you know, I, I know, uh, Lee Satterfield very well. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people, a lot of people may not know that, um, Lorton prison, the former Lorton prison is where, um, many DC, uh, DC, um, DC folks, DC guys who were convicted of crimes were, were sent as opposed to going straight from DC jail to a federal, mm-hmm. uh, 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 correctional institution or prison. Mm-hmm. When Lorton closed, it was like now it's DC jail straight to the feds. Yeah. So for you, you know, Lorton being open, that allowed for a lot of people to still, you know, have their visit, their families come visit them and whatnot. For mm-hmm. you, having been sent to, um, how many different federal institutions were you sent to? Uh, <clears throat> wow, you got to. Yeah, yeah. it's, 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 it's a lot. Okay, it's, a lot. It's a lot. Were you able to still have those visits? Was it, did that make the, did were you one of the people who also had um, whose families had difficulty, you know, coming out to visit and whatnot? Um, well, when I I left Lawton, uh, I was put on a, I was placed on a bus with uh, thirty nine other inmates. Mm-hmm. You know, it was forty of us. Mm-hmm. I was the youngest inmate on that bus, mm-hmm. uh, and all I was told was, man, um, uh, the COs came, called my name. Gave me a green duffel bag, told me to put all my belongings in there, separate certain things, which was very a small bag that I could only travel with. Mm-hmm. And um, and they didn't really tell us where we were going. Yeah. All we seen was two white guys shotgun. Mm-hmm. They shotgunning us up, putting us on this Greyhound bus. So, um, and we all on the bus trying to figure out, like, man, where the hell is we going? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so they didn't even tell you which facility y'all was going to. Nah. So come to find out, man, um, I was on a bus ride for about 27 to 29 hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, they drove me all the way to Pollock, Louisiana. Wow. That's what I was getting ready to say. You either, you either went to Ohio or Louisiana. Yeah. yeah, see, Ohio was a CCA. It was mm-hmm. a... Uh, Corrections Corporation of America. Right, private prison. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so when we left Lawton, I was drove all the way to Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So um, a completely different world with, oh, with yeah, the COs no thinking completely differently. Small town, yeah. You know, extremely small yeah. town. Yeah. You know, I I I used to live in New Orleans, okay. And I know how much the entire state of Louisiana depends upon New Orleans. So, right. And I can only imagine that, and then knowing that they put these these um these uh facilities in like the smallest of towns with the worst economies. Yeah. I can only imagine just, you know, when you step off that bus, you're just like, where am I? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> even riding through the South like that, you know, um, riding through uh, Georgia, you know, coming through Alabama, Mississippi, mm-hmm. uh, 
you, I mean, my mind was just going everywhere because on and, and down in those state prisons, we literally seeing white guys on horses and seeing colored folks on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, I mean, it takes your thought back all the way to slavery. Overseers and, you know, and, and slave and they, catchers they, and all of that. They call it the chain game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a form of slavery. Make right. no mistake about it. You know what I mean? It's still there. Yeah. You know, and um, so when I got to Pollock, Louisiana, it was a maximum security penitentiary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually the youngest inmate in that prison at the time because we actually opened it up. We was like maybe the second bus. Mm-hmm. So the, the prison was a brand new maximum security penitentiary. So I can remember me getting a phone call. They gave us a phone call and I called home. And everybody in the family didn't know where I went. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't know where I was at until I called. So when I finally told him where I was at, one of my aunts said, uh, well, you know where you at? So I'm like, hell no, I don't know where I'm at. I'm, I'm, I'm in Louisiana. She said, well, you be careful down there, you know, this, you know, so I'm like, but, so it started dawning on me like, man, because as we was riding to the prison in Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, like we still was seeing signs saying, no nigga allowed out the dock, mm-hmm. run nigga run, yep. the Confederate flags mm-hmm. and so have you. So uh, to be placed right there like that, man, um, I don't even remember even saying Louisiana out of my mouth until I got there. <laughs> I don't even remember even saying Louisiana growing up nowhere. But, um, and that's where my journey started, man. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And so going on the website for Unchained Minds, you know, and talking with you, you know, you told me that you had the, the, the idea to start Unchained Minds while you were incarcerated. Um, at what point of your incarceration did you have that idea, and what 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 sparked the idea? Uh, <clears throat> I could say probably around about close to about maybe thirteen or close to fifteen years ago. Okay, and that's when I really started like uh, getting more involved with reading history, mm-hmm. reading a lot of history books. You know, reading on guys like Frederick Douglass and other pioneers. You know, of the, of our black ancestors, right? Mm-hmm. And um, because a lot of times we kind of get a lot of watered-down versions growing up in these public schools. Mm-hmm. So actually uh, being incarcerated, man, it, it, you know, it, it, it opened my mind up or enlightened, enlightened my mind towards a lot of things, yeah. learning about the true history of certain, certain, you know, certain uh, people and mm-hmm. our, our ancestors, right? So, uh, and like I say, I was once told, you know, they may have my body chained, but don't let them chain my mind. Right. And you got to find a way to keep your mind free, mm-hmm. keep your spirit free. And as I was doing my time, getting moved around, getting shipped around in different maximum security prisons in, in all over the U.S., I just always believed in my heart that I'm not going to spend the rest of my life in prison. Right. So I didn't give up, mm-hmm. you know, because um, I was always taught to fight. I was always taught to swing back. And that's the approach I took on with the system. Even though um, I lost my appeal, I lost a few other motions. Uh, and I feel like if I was to give it to an attorney right now in the day to let them see some of the things that was filed on my behalf, they probably would have said, well, you should have been home a long time ago. Okay. You know, because my Sixth Amendment constitutional right was violated. You know, Satterfield let a jury go to one of my crime scenes. That violated my Sixth Amendment constitutional right to a fair trial. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I just, I just kept swinging, man, you know, and, um, so when this new bill got passed, um, I swung again. Okay. And this time I think I landed a good punch. Absolutely. I mean, cause you're here with us now. That's so, right. 
So coming home 2019, this summer, you know, of course, again, like I said in the beginning, very different world than the one you left. Um, a lot of things have changed in the time that you were away, you know. Um, I remember you saying that you um, connected with uh, Tara Libert, uh, Free Minds, mm-hmm. uh, which is an organization um, that um, encourages and advocates for um, uh, for reading among uh, um, um, inmates in, um, in both D.C. jail and, and um, people from D.C. who are in, in federal uh, facilities, as yeah. well as, you know, writing correspondence, things like that. Um, in working with her and getting the ball rolling with Unchained Minds, what has that experience been like, you know, while, all while you're getting reacclimated to the 21st century, 2019, 2020 society? Um, doing work with her, Ms. Tura, I can say it's been a blessing too, man, mm-hmm. because um, before I even met her, she heard so much about me mm-hmm. through other comrades that was already doing work with her. Mm-hmm. And um, she actually, uh, to this day, she calls and checks on me. Mm-hmm. Because by her working with a lot of guys that done a lot of time, she understand the mental conditions that we all face when we are just coming back home after being gone for so long. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of times, uh, you know, it's been helpful with working with her because, like, um, she'd invited me out to a few events. I done spoke at, like, two, three different colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, she, I have spoken at, uh, like, a high school, talking to the youth. Uh, that was a blessing. That was, I was very honored to do that. Um, and just meeting, meeting different people, you know. It was a great experience. Mm-hmm. You know, meeting different people, uh, networking. You know, she uh, she's she always just you know like whenever I need her. You know, even when it's come to uh, dealing with my mom, she told me or always asked me if I need her, make sure I call her. You know, just support. Mm-hmm. And I really I, I really like uh, honor and enjoy her support that she's have given me. Her and um, uh, attorney over at the PDS, name is Bessie Biden. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's another great woman that uh, been trying to uh, do whatever she can to help me. And, um, and also, she recommended me to call some people to actually get my mother into the program that she's in now. Okay. So those two women and a few other people that I've met during the Free Minds organization uh, that works up under Ms. Tara, uh, like Miss Akila and uh, Miss Tia, uh, those two women there always checks on me as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they all root for me. They all uh, respect the fact and love the fact how I just came out here and just, like, had my mother on my number one agenda. Like, I really wasn't really caring about myself. And everybody, like, well, look, you can't really help nobody until you get yourself together, this, that, and the third. But I was like, okay, I hear that, mm-hmm. but that's my mother. Right. So... I, I'm going to fight for her, I'm going to fight with her, yeah. and I'm going to fight anything that's against her. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, now on the, on the latter half of the show, I want to I wanna make sure that we get this, this, this topic in because it's something that I've been observing over the past few years, I'm sure you have as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about the, um, the, not only the documentation of the, 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 the prison or street experience, but also the commodification of it. So, 
Um, I know I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with um, Seth Ferranti. Seth Ferranti. Yeah, he um, does Gorilla Convict. He used to write for Don okay. Diva back in the day. White guy got yeah. locked, got jammed up with some, uh, with yeah, some, he done L- some LSD charm. Lord and Legends and all that. Uh, well, Lord and Legends. That's um, I have Lord and Legends too. I, why is his name slipping my mind? Um, it's not Seth. Um, Lord Legend. The guy who wrote Lord and Legends is Eon. from Uptown. Eon. Yeah, Eon yeah, Wood. That's my man. But um, yeah um. I read this article that he wrote on his bu- on his blog, Seth Ferranti, and he was talking about how he was just going through his his time in in the, in the um in the prison system, and he was talking about how now prisons are being used as tourist attractions, and not just you know old prisons that don't that aren't in operation anymore like Alcatraz or Eastern State Penitentiary in Philly, but even like a place like uh like Sing Sing, mm-hmm. which is still operational, but they have set up a whole museum right there, mm-hmm. you know, um not to mention um. You know, on the on the on the commodification of documentation. Well, not even commodification, but the documentation side. You know, you have social media accounts, which I know you haven't gotten to the social media world just yet. Yeah. But you may have heard of them. You know, there's a few, especially on Instagram, even Twitter. On Twitter, you'll see um, some people like doing threads about different street guys throughout throughout history, throughout mm-hmm. the, the from like the '80s on, or maybe even farther back. And then on Instagram, you got these accounts like, um, uh, what is it? Um, I'll be square 87, which I actually like the most because he actually provides a lot of context, a lot of context behind, you know, why different cities got to where they were in terms of just like being known as murder capitals and things like that. Um, but you got that and you've got, um, um, I can't, I can't believe I'm forgetting, Macopolis, a whole bunch of other, they're just showing pictures of right. like street guys from different parts of the country, this, that, and the third. And you know, they got great followings and everything, but um, sometimes I say to myself, well, what exactly is the end goal here? Especially with the ones that's just showing the pictures. Cause I like, I like to see the pictures just for like to see the style mm-hmm. of that era. But I think a lot of people really get high off of, you know, these stories of guys and, and, and women even who were out here in the streets, whether they are still with us or not, you know, and I don't know if it's because, you know, they were survivors or they were doing things that they, these people themselves today couldn't do. I don't know what it is. But I, I, just explaining that to you, um, I would like to know, like, what would you want people to take away, these young people especially, to take away from looking at these types of pictures and stories? Um, well, you know, they say a picture can tell a lot. Mm-hmm. Meaning about, you know, the, either the individual or the place, Right. And um, when you look at these pictures and stuff, like uh, I believe, like sometimes when people go back, like we was just talking about the '80s and stuff like that, you know, it, it's a memory cap. You know, uh, <clears throat> like I can probably show you a picture back when I was younger, and I could probably tell you maybe what I was doing or what was happening at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, so people, you know, they like to go back in time. Right, right, right. You know, whether it was a hardship or it was ease mm-hmm. or it was all good at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, because life is always going to be, uh, it's, you know, it's always going to be about the struggle, mm-hmm. you know. And um, dealing with these, uh, when you were speaking about, like, uh, these prisons and stuff like that being some type of tours, attraction and stuff like that. And, you know, people love uh, <clears throat> hearing about certain things. Yeah. And certain things attract certain people. So when you go through these prisons, like um, like I always told myself, like one day I wanted to go to visit the prison that Nelson Mandela done his time at, mm-hmm. which was on the island. Yeah. And um, 
And I just wanted to go there because of the fact that I read his book mm -hmm. and I also uh, saw a movie that they done on him a couple years ago by Idris mm -hmm. that played him. Yeah. Um, and I say, man, wow, I would like to go visit that prison because all, in, in all actuality, when you read about prison back in those days and time, or back like uh, like 50, 60, 70 yeah, years ago, like, yeah, like co compared to prison now today, mm -hmm. it's like, man, um, <clears throat> you'd be like, man, they was really like, it was really a struggle mm -hmm. back then in those days. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, prison was like torture. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It was more so torture to where it's though like uh, dealing with, say, like in America, when you had a lot of African Americans that was in prison during the 50s and the 60s, you know, they were still dealing with a lot of racism, right. like heavily back then, mm -hmm. you know, because from my understanding, like I've been around a lot of older brothers that was that's locked up, and I'd have met some brothers that's, that they still locked up. They've been in 50 years, 53, 54 years. These guys are still incarcerated. Mm -hmm. So back when they first started, they bit, you know, they would turn on the TV and they were seeing the African-American communities getting dosed with water hoses, dogs getting attacked on them. So the psychological effect that they had on them back then was like, man, they was just so, everybody just was so mad and angry because they feel like, man, they not out there to protect their people. Yeah. They family, they little ones. So versus today, when I was incarcerated, when you have young men getting killed like Trayvon Martin and a few other black African-American young men that was actually killed for nothing, we sit in prison and we feel a certain type of way because now we have little brothers. Some of my older comrades, they got sons that were 16, 17, so they got to, you know what I mean? Like, they feel like, damn, that could have been my son. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And their mothers is out here single parents, and they scared for their sons to wear their hoods. Right. You see what I'm saying? Behind the Trayvon Martin demonstration. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when I call home and we hear these things, it's like, man, you know, we still somewhat still in the same struggle sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Racism might, might not be uh, blatantly as it was back then, but people better understand that it still exists, and I believe that it's always going to exist. Mm -hmm. But we just got to know how to deal with certain situations. Okay. You know what I mean? Because, uh, like I was told before, like, you know, uh, you know, this is a thinking man's game now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if you're not able to think you're and not going to be able to accomplish anything. That critical thinking is is is, is highly necessary these days. That's right. You know, we got to encourage more of that. Yeah, you know? most um, definitely. Well, someone who's working with you in particular, um, and you know, we live in a day, in a day and age where it's that, that communal aspect, for better or for worse, you know, that you spoke about back when you were a child that existed, even amongst the, 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 the street guys and everything like that, there was a communal aspect there. We live in a time where it's, that community is gone. Um what can we do as people who recognize what's going on, as adults who recognize where ourselves or generations before us have failed generations coming behind us? What can we do to help right those wrongs? <clears throat> um, well, since I've been home um, and I see a lot of young people some was very young when I left. They was kids. You know, mm -hmm. They was three and four, five years old. Now they all grown. Mm -hmm. They in their early 20s. Um, I mean, it's like when you got young guys out here today that's maybe involved in the streets, uh, me personally, I still embrace them mm -hmm. because I'm, I know where they, I, I come from where they come from. And um, I just try to, man, like, 
you know, give them a conscious thought, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I can't, I can't so much tell them what to do because they might already have in their mind of what they want to do or however they want to do it. Mm-hmm. But um, I just try to give them some, some, some food for thought, man. Yeah. You know, and, um, and at the end of the day, like, you know, I just always tell them, man, even before I, may, before I, may, uh, before I leave them, I always just tell them, man, be safe. You know, uh, be careful. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And um, I can't knock how they may think how they supposed to support their family. But I always tell them also that, man, um, everybody want to be gangster, you know. But me personally, I tell them all the time, man, being smart is the new gangster. Yeah. You know what thousand I mean? Percent, thousand percent. Thousand percent. So, um, and that's the only, that's the, I mean, because I'm like, the things that I would like to do, that I would love see, you know, see get done, I mean, if I can touch one, it's good for me. Mm-hmm. Because I was one that wasn't touched. Right. You see, so um, I believe, man, if you can touch one, man, you never know. You might can touch many other lives. I might not be able to, you know, touch many as lives as I want, but if I touch one, who to say he might can touch, you know, and it can trickle down. Right, right. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, at some point in time, man, like, you have to give a person enough room to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that while I was incarcerated, I didn't let the incarceration hinder my growth. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't because you can do 20 years and come out here and still do what you was doing 20 years ago. I know some guys like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know some guys because like that. We, have, all, we all know some people like that. Yeah, because I'm saying like uh, uh, it's not always a young fool. You got some old fools as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and, uh, and, people can't, and people cannot forget that some fools, right, it's just going to continue to be fools mm-hmm. but a lot of the wise men was once fools because they learned from their mistakes yes and they learned from others mistakes so uh you know with that being said man um i mean it's a lot that i would like to do man far as the streets you know what i mean i hear about certain little beefs that's going on certain little things that's going on but me knowing the code of the streets some things you just got to stay away from. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So right. you won't get trapped off or you won't get in the mix of certain things. Right. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, certain things you got to stay away from and certain things just got to basically iron out on itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? yeah. All right. Well, www.un-chainedminds.org. It's the place where they can find you, all your work that you're doing, which you have you have done quite a bit sir in the in the short time that you've been home and i'm i'm grateful that someone like yourself is here and has hit the ground running and is, is already making waves in, in the dc community Absolutely. among among youth and getting this message out to institutions who aren't as connected to the to the streets and the people as 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 their intellectual work um um makes it seem so again appreciate you brother marvin definitely appreciate definitely. that and that is a wrap i appreciate y'all having me Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. 
If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.